Hello, and indeed welcome to another edition of the Sitcom Club. Johnny and myself, your old pal Ocho, is myself, hey home and can't go. You see what I did I there? concur. Today, we are in the realm of the spin-off. The sequel. Is that a sequel or is it a spin-off? Well, it is a sequel, obviously, but it's also a spin-off, then, isn't it? I think spin-offs don't really have the main character in. Now, some shows don't really have a main character, which is why you can say Frasier is a spin-off of Cheers, because Cheers didn't really have a main character per se. Even if you had a show about Sam, it wouldn't necessarily be the sequel to Cheers. But I would say George and Mildred is a spin-off of Man About the House. Robin's Nest is the sequel, arguably. Even then, have have enough of the supporting cast been peeled away that there's really nothing left. But Going Straight is definitely a sequel, because it is about... Norman Fletcher, and Lenny Godper. And I don't think you need much more to call that officially the continuation of a story rather than a side issue. I think you're right. And I'm actually going to retake my opening line in that case. Today we're in the world of the sequel, not spin-off, which is a different thing. Now, I don't need to tell you what we're talking about because I think you already know, because it's written on the file. The thing that's most often said about sequels of this nature and we've done follow-ups before, is that they're unnecessary and they in some way pollute the integrity of the original work. I think maybe number one on that list is The Legacy of Reginald Perrin. I'm not sure if I heard anybody speak warmly of it, but we looked at New Liver Birds, Doctor at the Top, and I suppose some people say the same of Going Straight, that it's unnecessary, it tarnishes the legacy. I don't think Going Straight existing takes anything away from Porridge. And I think, as a sequel idea, it's possibly more necessary than any of the others. There's a thing Graham Linehan said at the time Father Ted ended, because, of course, the ending of the last episode was re-edited. Obviously, we know one reason why the ending would have been re-edited. He gave another reason, which I suppose might reflect the way he wanted the show to end once he knew that there couldn't be any return to the characters. Anyway, it's a point that I think is worth bringing up. He said this whole idea of liking to think that all those great old sitcom characters are trapped in Aspic at the end and their situation will continue forever. That Basil Fawlty is still running the hotel in Torquay. That Bob and Terry maybe are still getting into scrapes and embarrassing each other. Maybe Rigsby is still the landlord of some grotty bedsits. I know something I like to think about is that for some unknown reason the Warmington platoon are still out there in uniform. That was brought about by seeing some of the public information films in which the Warmington Home Guard are wandering around 1970s Britain and even things like them being in character on their Blue Peter appearance, which is on the DVD. These are real people and they are out there forever. Whereas, in the case of Porridge... You don't really want to think that Norman Stanley Fletcher, yeah, he's been inside for 40 years, serving a five-year sentence. (laughs) Don't forget to remind me, Ocho. I'm going to leave you in charge of this, okay? I want you to remind me, towards the end of this podcast, to talk about the Porridge sequel slash spin-off slash prequel that I imagined a few months back, because I think it could have worked. It wasn't just some nonsense on my part. I think that if it had been done properly, I think it could have worked out. All right, so here's the deal with Porridge. We've had three series, two Christmas specials. We begin going straight, which Ronnie Barker claimed subsequently he agreed to do one series of. And of course, we don't know if there potentially could have been a second series, and we'll never know that, of course, because of 
the death of Richard Beckinsale. So if we assume, as Ronnie Barker said, that this was only ever supposed to be one series, then this is the story from start to finish. And actually, it does have... What kind of ending would you classify this as? Acknowledged. So at the beginning of Going Straight, we're still inside Slade Prison. There is Milton Johns dishing out Fletcher's belongings. The only person who is still in Slade, apart from Fletcher and his old group, is McLaren. And they exchange a bit of banter. Fletcher is able to impart to McLaren all the information that we need to know as well, which is that he's going out. And the first episode is an oddity because, of course, the first episode is unlike any of the episodes that follow. It could almost be the last episode of Porridge. You could almost believe that if Clementine Lefrenet had been told, right, Porridge is ending and we just we just need something to cap it. Somewhere in the back of my mind, there's an idea that there is a show that ends like that, that ends with one more episode having the format broken before our eyes. In half hot more. That's one. I think there might be another. There's another way you could kind of break off the last episode and... Uh, you rang my lord? Have it as an optional ending. I don't I don't remember how you rang my lord ends. It basically ends, I mean, it ends, ends as in full on done with all the characters going their separate ways and we see them going their separate ways and what they're doing. Drop the Dead Donkey is another one as well, where you have basically the newsroom is done and we see everybody in their new surroundings and what have you. How many different series have we just spoiled the endings off for listeners without giving them any warning? <laughs> Right, the Sopranos, what happens, right, is no, no, okay, so, going straight, off Fletcher goes, he's on the train, and who should he meet on the train? And I sort of like this, because this reminds me a little bit of a trope. Is this a trope that you get in American spin-offs slash sequels, where you get one of the characters from the previous show turn up? It's spoofed, obviously, in the Simpsons spin-off show as, you know, oh, look, it's... Well, hey, it's... if we're going to start laying spoilers, uh, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be talking about the Ropers. And, yes, there's an episode of that where there's a knock at the door on the Omni. Hey, look, everybody, it's Larry from Three's Company. Stanley doesn't actually say that. I wish he had. So it, that's generally held to be a cliche of the spin-off that at some point, and in Frasier, I think almost everybody's come back at some point from Cheers to stick their head around the door. So who should Fletcher see on the train than Officer Mackay? And he's turned up just to wish Fletcher all the best in his new series. <laughs> That's not quite true. You're not being fair there, because this is not a case of bolstering a shaky spin-off with, hey, remember, because it's the first ever one. Again, we're getting the closing down of plot lines. Yeah, the first episode is quite, is the right word to use, functional? We are watching Clement and Lefrenet taking out all the porridge to clear a space to put going straight in its place. We've got a little bit of the old magic here, which we sort of lose in some of the other episodes to come. But Fletcher needs someone to work opposite. He's got to have, not a straight man, but he's got to have basically a foil. He's got to have somebody that he can try and get one over on. And here is Officer Mackay. They meet on the train and straight away he's got to work out, okay, what's Mackay doing here? Why is he on the train? And Mackay doesn't see any good reason to tell him, so Fletcher has to go about actually working this out. And eventually twigs that Mackay is sort of being eased out of the prison service, and so he's off to a job interview. And as far as Fletcher's concerned, he's got no reason to hide the truth. He just said, you know, that's me, I'm out. It's interesting to see how that episode plays out, because 
we know that Fletcher is going to have temptation put in his path at some point over the course of the series, but we don't necessarily expect it to be even before he's arrived home. And yet, here I is... I suppose what's unusual about this episode is who's not in it. I suppose maybe one reason that this suffers comparison is it takes a while to work out what the show is about. There's three episodes of just Fletcher's life immediately after he comes outside, and then we have a new three-episode setup of a sitcom about Fletcher working an honest day's work, or honest night's work. So in that first episode, we don't see anything of Fletcher's home life. It's all set on the train. We've got a little bit of business involving Fletcher, Mackay, and a couple of hoodlums who are known to Fletcher. That episode, I mean, like you say, that could have been the last episode of Porridge, standalone piece. It could just as easily have nice been... Nice bit of continuity, still complaining about bad feet. Yes. That could just as easily have been an episode of Seven of One a few years earlier in the way that Prisoner and Escort was, for example. If they'd never made Porridge, for example, which, of course, was Ronnie Barker's intention because he wanted to do a fly for a quid, Prisoner of Escort could have been seven of one episode and then if they had actually done half a dozen of the other which was the intention because it was supposed to be six of one originally then they could have done this as, you know return to Fletcher he went in the prison he came back out again just we didn't see any of the in between but anyway so episode one is pretty much all self-contained and then episode two we see what Fletcher's surroundings are now and this get to the core of what is perhaps often cited as a problem of going straight. In the Comedy Connections edition on the topic of porridge, Sam Kelly said that in the prison, despite the fact that he's a prisoner, that part aside, Fletcher is a winner. He's always getting one over. I mean, Ronnie Barker himself said that he originally saw Fletcher as being effectively like Bilko in prison. That's how he imagined it first. And Fletcher is always getting his little victories and he's always putting one past Baraclough and Mackay and so on. Whereas and on the outside, as Sam Kelly put it, Fletcher's a bit of a loser. And there isn't really any getting away from that. He tries to make the best of what he's got and he's determined that he's not going to end up back inside. But his situation is not particularly good. He was married in Porridge. We saw his wife in Porridge in one episode. But the suggestion now is that she has gone off with A&R. I suppose maybe that's one thing that does sour old porridge. That episode where he gets his visit on the outside. Looking now, if you think about what happens in Going Straight, it suddenly seems a bit more hollow. We're getting into a retcon territory now, aren't we? Because there's nothing at all about his wife in that episode of Porridge where you get the impression that she's likely to suddenly do a bunk with... Yes. Someone else. She's stuck by him through th- thick and thin. It's, again, functional, fictional reasons for getting her out of the way. It makes for a better setup. And it would be just plain weird for Clement and Lafrenette to go, oh, hang on a minute. We can't sour that one episode of Porridge we wrote. Let's just have her move to Australia. <laughs> Why didn't they do that? The old standby, move to Australia. That's what always happens. Surely that should be the law. You have to write a sitcom character out Australia. So even though Fletcher has initially said that he's not going to go back inside, he's going to go straight, and he, of course he sings about that beginning of each episode, should have pointed out initially. I'm breaking bad, I am. 
That's what happened. Your second series going bent. <laughs> right. Okay. So Fletcher arrives at home. There's Ingrid. There's no retcon here. It's Patricia Brake, as she was in Porridge itself. And the underrated Patricia Brake. The Patricia Brake who does not get talked about enough. We do have a bit of a naughty tendency on the sitcom club not to talk about actresses enough. We didn't even mention the actress who played Kenneth Cope's wife in Bootle Saddles. We saw not talked about her that I can't even remember her name. But Patricia Brake played Ethel Glum in the TV version of The Glum. She was good enough to step into a role co-created, performances creation, by June Whitfield and not thinking, doesn't measure up. No, she is as good as Ethel Glum as June Whitfield herself. And she's fantastic in going straight. She is indeed. Let's um, get her trending. We didn't get Bootle Saddles on DVD trending. Patricia Brake is fantastic. Hashtag. Yes. Because yes. Yes. And if you want to see more Patricia Brake, she's also in Man's Best Friends, the uh, Roy Clark sitcom with Phil Mackay. We course, need to do that, Mackay. yes. There you go. Much as Derek Folds gets stuck between Nigel Hawthorne and Paul Eddington firing on all cylinders and still manages to be a presence. Patricia Brake, she's, she's on screen with Richard Beckinsale and Ronnie Barker. And at no point does she fade into the wallpaper. And you mentioned Nigel Hawthorne more on him later on. Oh, oh yes. No, not the only superstar in episode five. No, even though Fletcher has said to his probation officer and to Mackay in episode one, everybody else, he's gone straight, he's not going back to life of crime and what have you. It's not true, is it? There's no getting away from it. In episode two, it does sort of put everything that he was saying in episode one into some sort of context because he was saying that with the confidence of a man who knows that he's got a nice little nest egg planted somewhere and he's going to go off and dig it up. And that's exactly what he intends to do. He knows that there is some money from a job. I'm going to say job. I mean, as in, you know, italicized that he did some years earlier. And it's some loot, which is in a turnip field, I believe. And off he goes with his shovel one night and pinches Godber's HGV vehicle. Because I should have explained, of course, Ingrid and Godber, they hinted at getting together at the end of Porridge. And now they are an item Then going straight. So off Fletcher goes with his spade and he's going to go and dig up his sweet green that he has accrued from ill-gotten gains. Except there's and not quite I think a... we all knew how that was going to end. Okay, I remember saying a few weeks back that I was surprised, for example, how one episode of Hope It Rains had ended. I would have been absolutely astonished if Fletcher had just come back and said, yeah, there it is! <laughs> <laughs> all, uh, all used notes, what have you. Now just make sure you don't put any of this in the building society and we're fine. We're set up. No, no, that wasn't going to happen. So, obviously, no need to actually spoil precisely what happens, but it doesn't work out. So now he has to actually keep his word. And this is going to prove tougher than it is to just say it. Now you may have heard me and I with reason. Episode 3 is the really, really weak one. What are you gasping for? Well, I've just remembered that episode 3 is the one that's got the fella out of room service in it, which reminded me of room service. So, yeah. Okay, so episode 3 going sour. That, again, standalone episode, isn't it? Doesn't really advance anything, doesn't advance the storyline at all. I can't bring many to mind, but it seems to me that for a while, 70s and 80s television, there were lots of teenage runaways 
who were written as fundamentally decent deep down and were possibly there to puncture any accusations of sentiment, but often made the sentiment worse. And the one that really sticks in my mind is probably not the best example, Santa Claus the movie. Look, here's a homeless boy. So, ah, you see, we're not quite so jelly and ice cream after all, are we? But of course, he can't do anything too horrific. He can't tell you about his lack of toilet facilities. I'm going to say that Penny, the teenage runaway in this, what is this particular episode about? Is it just about how amazing Fletch is? I suppose there's the restoration of his self-esteem, but how do you feel about it? Well, he doesn't... He doesn't want to see anybody else go down his road. And in a way, this episode is retreading some of the sentiment of the episode of Porridge called A Night In, where he explains to Godber, who's only just started sharing the cell with him, about how much time he, Fletcher, has spent in prison over the course of his life and how he'd do things differently if he could. And I guess in the runaway girl, he sees somebody who's going down exactly the same path as him. And so he's trying to convince her otherwise. In a way, it gives us again, in the same way as that he was able to explain to McLaren in episode one, all the ins and outs and here I am, I'm going out and so on and so on. The girl in this episode, she gives us a peek into Fletcher's mind about just what he's thinking about right now. Because without this setup, then we'll just have to take it as read that Fletcher's, yeah, he's, he's true to his word, he doesn't want to go back on his promises and so on, and yes, he really is going to go straight this time. But you might sort of think to yourself, he's a career criminal, for goodness sake. So, okay, I understand that he had to say that to get parole and what have you, but really, is he really going to change? This gives him an opportunity to actually explain his thinking. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's just the weak link is the character of Penny. And I'm not blaming Roberta Tovey, who plays Penny. I'm not entirely blaming Clement and Lefrenet, but I think they bear more of the responsibility. But you can't put a homeless runaway in a sitcom-like going straight that's going to be comfortable, if not cosy, without ending up with a kind of stage school cockney who pulls her punches and doesn't swear. I'm trying to think of other options. One option would be to make her extremely shaky and frightened. But then it's really a case of Fletcher guarding somebody who's not like him. Otherwise, you, I don't know, you could have her as messed up as Katie Murphy's character in The River. When you said stage go cockney, I just suddenly thought, what if her character was performed by the entire Anna Cher theatre group? <laughs> All of them. In song. What the hell? <laughs> It doesn't entirely work. It couldn't really entirely work without some fundamental change to the nature of going straight for it, taking a slightly more downbeat or hard-edged path. Everybody seems remarkably blasé about the idea that maybe Fletcher bedded an 18-year-old. Well, the bloke at room service is bloody practically encouraging, isn't he? Don't remind me that room service exists. (laughs) I've got to be honest and say that that is one of the biggest disappointments in terms of sitcom. I've been waiting about 10 years to see room service because all I'd ever seen was the first six minutes of the first regular episode. 
and the first six minutes is really hyper and it's got the classic mix of VT and film and all sorts and everybody's got tons of spare acting even though we're 20 minutes away from the end credits and I thought the whole thing was going to be like this I couldn't wait to get it and oh my god was that a disappointment but it's sort of how I felt about Oddman out as well I would still rank that as my biggest disappointment because all the clips I'd seen of that was that that was going to be so outrageous and so over the top that at some point Neville would just stop using innuendo altogether and just literally just spell it out, possibly with like letters on the refrigerator door. Anyway, as you said, the last three episodes of Porridge, they're like a little self-contained series. We've had two functional episodes, which is almost like watching somebody playing with a Lego set. Well, episode one is more successful, episode two seems to tread water a little bit and is leading up to a fairly obvious payoff. But I really like the last three episodes, even though I can't really see a second series coming out of it. It doesn't actually say second series would be impossible. It's just, well, I think it would drift away, far enough away from porridge that it would be a bit harder to care in some ways we'd start caring about fletch because he was the fletch of going straight now don't forget the rule about episode placement we have mentioned this before the first time i ever heard about this was i've actually got it sitting on the shelf right in front of me second autobiography of mark and wise from 1981 they talk about how in a six-part series if you have a couple of episodes which are sort of perfunctory up to scratch, perfectly okay, but nothing special, nothing that's going to blow anybody away. Then you position them in episodes three and five in the run. So you make a good impact on the first week, you follow it up in the second week. So if episode three doesn't quite live up to the expectation, then episode four brings it right back up again. And episode five, in a way, it doesn't have to be brilliant because you know that there's a big finish coming the following week. Episode 6. So in a way, that episode you're talking about there, episode 3, that's exactly where it should be. It wouldn't be anywhere else. Yes, but it it can't be a matter of episode placement because if it was an absolute triumph from beginning to end, story-wise, it only fits between Fletcher moving into his house and getting settled and starting his new job. It's not like, oh, it turned out really well, let's put that episode less because he hasn't got a job in that one. Oh, yeah, but I mean, you decide in the, the running order it's not, it's not like you've decided upon the running order after you've got all six episodes in the can. It's been written as an episode where you don't have to forward the plot. So if you've got from A to B and you've already established where he's going to begin and where he's going to end, and then you're having a problem, like um, Dogfood Dan, for example, where we said that was it felt like it was stretching it to have that over three hours, whereas previously it had been a 50-minute play. So if you know that you've got to get Fletcher from this point to that point and to try and stretch that out over six episodes is going to be a bit of a strain and that's how you'd end up with episode three. Entirely self-contained. If you missed it, doesn't matter. So let's talk about his job. He is night porter in the Hotel Dolphin, which, alas, did not have a logo on the outside similar to Club Flamingo in Police Court, for example. (laughs) He gets cold feet, has a disagreement with Ingrid and ends up in the pub and he's you know, he's not going to go in and takes some convincing from Godber for him to go ahead with it. But in he goes and it's officially his first day's, night's legitimate work he's ever had in his life. And they, they make the interesting 
point about his inability to go into work. I quite liked that. Does that in some ways rewrite some of our information about Porridge? We knew he was a career criminal, but he had never worked an honest day's work at all? Well, I suspect that he'd probably take the view early on that any time that he spent on a legitimate job, he could be effectively earning more per hour doing something a bit less scrupulous. So it is likely that either he'd never had a legitimate day's work, or if he had, he probably made the best of the opportunity, so to speak, once he was on the inside. So he didn't necessarily do an honest day's work when he was in there. And by the way, this episode leads to one of my favourite catchphrases in any sitcom. Etc, etc? No, it's not etc, etc. I I, I found that a bit weird. There's something to be done with his character that's not done. And maybe, I'm not saying it's done as an, an omission or a failure. Maybe they're saving that up. Just in case it's a runaway success, for Series 2, there might be something to be done with Mr. McEwen. But I find his etc. etc. just seems like a tick to sort of say, there you see, he's got a characteristic, he's got a beard, and he says etc. etc. No, the catchphrase in question is that David Swift is Mr. McEwen, he's in charge of the hotel, and Fletcher has been given this job through his probation officer, and... Mr. McEwen has signed up to this scheme whereby ex-offenders are given a chance at employment. And whereas, for example, the secretary at the desk in the hotel when Fletcher arrives, straight away she's hiding her handbag and what have you. As Mr. McEwen says, you know, everybody deserves a second chance and he's actually found his participation in this scheme quite fruitful, with the exception of (laughs) one or two regrettable incidents and every time he says it he just sort of looks away into the distance as if he's suddenly remembering those one or two regrettable incidents i'm going back on myself actually i take that back he's not a thin character i think etc etc makes him look thinner than he is but there's a few nice things this thing that he's been out in a colony or a former colony that thing he needs a cardigan because he's not used to the british climate even even though he's obviously been there for a few years. And I think that's quite nice that they pay attention to that. He's got thin blood. I don't want to talk too much about this, because I think we actually have mentioned it already but in a previous podcast. But many, many years down the line, there was the Norman Stanley Fletcher Life on the Box programme. You know, what happened to Fletcher after Porridge? We found out what happened to all the different characters from Porridge and so on. And David Swift turns up as Mr. McEwen. And I really like the fact that they kept that catchphrase in. He says again in 2003. (laughs) (laughs) He can still remember those one or two unfortunate incidents. And the other thing is, of course, that he has lived in Britain, then spent many years away and come back. So he relates to Fletcher on the level of having to readjust to society. And again, it gives possibilities. It would give a good possibility for some hilarious misunderstanding which would be based on knowledge from between certain years when Fletch was inside and Mr. McEwen was growing coffee that neither of them know. Might be a little contrived, but there's nothing wrong with a little bit of edifice in comedy. So I'm sorry. No, Mr. McEwen is actually quite a well-drawn character. I just find his etc. etc. looks like the kind of tick you would get with a less well-drawn character. Yes, that's fair enough. Gobber gets really sidelined, doesn't he, in this show? He just seems to be there as conscience, voice of sanity. And he does have scenes with Fletch, but they don't really have the great interplay. Well, in a way, the tables have turned, haven't they? Because Fletcher would 
look after Godber on the inside because Fletcher was an old hand and Godber was first time on the inside and only time. And Fletcher had to sort of warn Godber repeatedly about, you know, you've got to look out for this and that and so on and so on. Whereas now it's like suddenly it's Godber who's having to explain things to Fletch. But now on the outside, Fletch also has Ingrid and Mr. McEwen and his parole officer. It would have been very contrived to somehow isolate Fletch from everybody except Godber and have just watched them struggling world outside. But as it is as a setup, there's not much for Richard Beckinsale to do. I've had this wild thought and I'm going to come out with it. It involves quite a bit of rewriting as far as parts of the dialogue are concerned, but not necessarily about the overall story arc. That third episode, Going Sour, replace Teenage Runaway's character with Godber. Have a two-hander between Godber and Fletcher, in which Godber is actually possibly in the path of temptation and is thinking about maybe earning a little bit of easy money somewhere. And it's only hinted at, it's not in the same way as Fletcher was going to go off and dig up his stash. But perhaps Godber's a little bit naive and maybe, you know, somebody's made a suggestion to him, do you want to earn a bit of money on the side or something like that? And it's up to Fletcher to explain to him where he's going wrong. Why not? Yes, that would be much more powerful. Would Ingrid still think they'd slept together? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think episode three would be okay to have someone all in Fletcher as the the focus. But that would then give Godber the opportunity to have a bit more screen time, because like you say, he Godber's not taken for granted in this. There's never any suggestion that he's not going to stay on the straight and narrow. And in a way, sort of Godber's stories, it's already happened by the time that going straight <laughs> starts. You know, he's on the outside, he's an HGV driver, he's effectively engaged to Ingrid, and, and that's it. So we've sort of missed all of that, in a way. It's already happened. Now, what were you chuckling at there? Because you've obviously. I was just suddenly thinking about a series of going straight where every week a different member of the supporting cast is tempted, and it's it's basically like playing whack a mole with crime. (laughs) You know who we haven't mentioned? Who's that? Nicholas Lindhurst. Ah, yes. Ah, no, you want a realistic depiction of a teenager. Yeah. (laughs) There he is. But it doesn't leave him much to do. It was often stated that John Sullivan had cast Nicholas Lindhurst in Only Fools and Horses as a result of seeing him in Butterflies. And as John Sullivan himself said, no, it wasn't his performance in Butterflies, which is completely different from... Was it his performance in The Tomorrow People as Hitler's cameraman? Yes. No, it was his performance as a straight presenter on our show. Now, I didn't make that up, by the way. Nicholas Lindhurst was a presenter on our show. Are we going to have to explain our show to the listeners? Right, you know how everybody always goes on about how Tiz was brilliant, Saturday mornings, revolutionised everything, and so on and so on. Well, the horrible dirty truth is that Tiz was, even though it began in 1974, it wasn't fully networked across the UK until 1979. And up until that point, the regions used to do a variety of things. So some regions did take Tiz was, and other regions took a show called The Saturday Banana, Bill Oddy. Three regions, I believe it was, took this crock of shit, I suppose you could say, <laughs> called Our Show. And 
I've sat through yes. 40 minutes of it, and my God, it was. That was the longest 40 minutes I've spent this year. It was excruciating. Okay, so somebody's had this idea. It's a show for kids, so why don't we get kids to present it? And yes, it's as bloody awful as it sounds. The really weird thing about it is that it's recorded in advance, right? So Don't sure. start an argument with Birdie. What? We've said this before about our show, and she said that Saturday mornings are always live. No, we're going to be honest about this. No, because, because... we're ruining a friend's childhood. No, but, but... I presume that whatever ITV region she was in, they had our show, and she thought, these kids have got up early on Saturday morning just to entertain me. Well, I'm going to name them. Uh, my friend Matt, a.k.a. Capone. We were chatting once about old kids' TV, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he says to me, isn't that a shame about Neil Buchanan? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, about him being dead. And I'm like, what? Neil Buchanan? You know, you know who Neil Buchanan is? As in host of Art Attack. Yeah. I said, Neil Buchanan's not dead. What are you on about? I thought at first he's having me on and he's trying to convince me of some bullshit. He's trying to do the kind of stunt that I would normally pull on somebody. But no, he was absolutely 100% convinced that Neil Buchanan was no longer with us. And I ended up, I think I ended up dialing up his webpage because like Neil Buchanan's in like a band these days. I think he's like the front man of a relatively successful group the, the tours and all sorts and i don't know how he got this bloody idea into his head but i mean i really hope he didn't just actually fall for the joke or did you hear about neil buchanan art attack surely not anyway well okay. a similar thing but slightly more relevant uh it was not until a press release was sent out recently i was sure ian lefrenaire died not just kind of like oh yeah didn't he die? no I'm, I'm sure i'd heard the news and seen the tributes and I might have at some point when we're talking about the Likelet thing, well, obviously there can't be any possibility of a sequel now. And I'm saying that under that assumption. <laughs> and it's only in the last few weeks when it's like, Clementine Lefrenaire writing a new sitcom. And I go and check and it's like, who am I thinking of? So anyway, let me correct what I said earlier on. Our show was absolutely 100% live. Nicholas Lindhurst, he was one of the hosts on it. Anyway, Nicholas Lindhurst, he's in Going Straight that we were talking about. I'm assuming Fletcher's son is mentioned in Porridge, because they mentioned that his other daughter just doesn't live there anymore. He mentions Raymond, but the fact that he had... That's interesting, actually, because he'd mentioned that he had been... This is another sort of retcon business, isn't it? Because he mentions that he's been able to send Raymond to a good school, the kind of school where you've actually got to like buy the official full-on uniform and what have you. And as he says, he didn't actually buy the uniform. He'd done a job on this school outfitter's place and so that's why Raymond's uniform was a bit big for him when he started at school and he says to Godber about how he wouldn't have been able to afford to send him to that school if he just had an ordinary desk job so he's trying to sort of justify his shady ways Raymond in going straight doesn't really fit that character does he because he doesn't look like he's some really bright kid who's going to do all these A-levels at 14 and then go off and become president of the Oxford Debating Society. He, he's, well, he's, he's in the difficult all. age. I mean, he went like that. I think there's one scene where he does actually have a conversation with Fletcher, but the majority of the time he doesn't even acknowledge Fletcher's existence. And he comes into the room and he says, what time is it? Godber tells him, and he just sort of looks off and says, oh, I've missed it there. <laughs> and then just wanders out of the room. He's neither pleased nor displeased about Fletcher being back home. It's like, it's just... Uh, he's really got that sort of way about him as if he's just... 
I hesitate to say that he's a spectator in life. He's, he's just there. It's like he just happens to share the planet with these other people who he sees on, you know, on a daily basis. But you just sort of wonder that perhaps he's a genius in some sort of field. I think maybe that's what's going on. I think he's maybe got his mind on all the things. So, star-studded episode five. When you say star-studded, you're not thinking of Nigel Hawthorne specifically, are you? I was also thinking of Pete Postlethwaite as Officer Something, Inspector Crowther, or whatever his rank is. So I thought you were going to speak about Lally Bowers. You can speak about Lally Bowers. Well, she's Mrs. Appleby. But she didn't go Hollywood in the same way, did she? Yeah, this is an interesting little episode. And this is still a couple of years before Sir Humphrey. So Nigel Hawthorne, even though he's very well established as an actor, he's not yet had the part which is really going to come to define him, as far as television is concerned. But it's after Dad's Army. I don't mean he had a part that defined him in Dad's Army, because I think in Dad's Army he plays Angry Man and has about three lines. Just for a moment there, I was thinking, have I gone wrong or something? <laughs> Is Nigel Hawthorne, have I been getting them mixed up with John LeMessery all these years <laughs> or something? <laughs> you, you found out that there was a big smear on your TV screen that just happened to be where the character of Lieutenant Carter was always standing. And there was an entire <laughs> character in Dad's Army you'd never seen. Uh, Pete Postlethwaite's appearance does raise an interesting thing that, again, could have been made more out of, which is once you're an old lag, the police are always going to be hassling you. You're always going to be the first under suspicion. Series 2, Episode 1, there's been a spate of burglaries in the neighbourhood, that kind of thing. It's another little bit of a thin plot. I quite like how it plays out. I quite like how it plays out because despite what I've just said, Fletcher's has not come under immediate suspicion for a crime, which I thought was what was going to happen. A valuable necklace is involved. Fletcher's knowledge of criminal enterprise works against him. He suspects something is going on. And it's probably the most time we see him spend with Lenny in that they get into a little scrape together. And it's a nice little setup, in as much as it's not something preposterous, but it's something that still puts Fletcher in the frame as far as other people's perception of him is concerned. So it's nothing that he's done. Far from it. It's quite the opposite. He's trying to prevent something. A sequence with Pete Postlethwaite. It's a nice sequence in as of itself, but also it neatly sets up what's to follow because it just establishes the fact that and for any non-old lags watching, this is what old lags can expect on the outside. bit like you're saying here, episode 3, episode 5 scheduling though. This is the treading water one for the hotel setup. It's stronger than the treading water for the on-the-outside setup. But in some ways, this plot could be quite easily reworked. Somebody working in a hotel is aware of an old con and they think the old con is being pulled and they embarrass themselves as a result. It doesn't rest on Fletch having been inside. It's facilitated by it, but it doesn't rest on it. It could be quite easily a night porter who simply heard about this trick, saw it on TV, read it in the paper. And that leads us to the end. And... The best episode, I think, aside from episode one. Fletcher finds himself in the path of temptation very firmly, not just as a possibility or an idea that he's got at the back of his mind, but actually he's pretty much in the thick of it. And we've got a bit more of, this is what you can expect if you're an old lag, he's pulled into an identity parade because he's got a villainous face. It's interesting that the character, Danny Piper, who tries to enlist Fletcher's help, in a sort of peripheral way for bank job, isn't it, that's going on. He's not some 
cardboard cutout hardman. He's not just your sort of oh you can spot him a mile off. Here comes like the heavy and what have you. He's going to put pressure on Fletcher. He's actually sort of relatively sort of affable in a way. He's just looking upon it himself as just a job. Thinks oh I recognise Fletcher of course. Yeah well do you want to do us a favour and we'll we'll make sure that you're all right and what have you. Quite but nicely, they don't have Fletcher tempted by the job simply out of innate criminality. Pressure is brought to bear. Financial and social embarrassment could happen because he doesn't have enough money in life. And that is quite important. And the fact that it's something very, very specific means that we can still believe in Fletcher's ability to go straight in the long term after all of this. Because had it been, for example, that he just had like a large gas bill come in that month, then you'd think to yourself, well, you know, how do we know this situation isn't going to happen again next month? And the other thing, he's only a lookout man. He's not been given a sawn off. No, I was thinking earlier that the loot that he's planning on digging up earlier is a result of a bank job. And from me, think that seems a bit hardcore for Fletcher. Has Fletcher actually threatened to kill people unless they put the money in a sack? Or do you think it was more of a case of they broke into a bank and somehow got into the safe? Is yeah, I'm thinking it's more along the lines of what we've been hearing about recently, you know, Hatton Garden. Something along those lines where they've tunnelled in and what have you. I can't see Fletcher doing a sort of Sweeney 2. No, it doesn't quite fit his character. And I could certainly imagine him, though, doing a bit of tunnelling and gel at night and what have you over a bank holiday weekend. Yeah. Why have I not? And I'm looking to spoil it by giving too many specifics, but there's one particular scene in this which is very striking, which has no dialogue, and yeah, it makes a point beautifully. It makes a point probably better than any amount of dialogue could have done. This snaps Fletcher out of it, and suddenly he's back in the straight and narrow. Gets to the church one time to see Ingrid and Godber's wedding ceremony. That's why I say it's an acknowledged ending, because we have a happy ending to a story. We kind of answer the question, is Fletch going to go back to his old ways? No, there's something has happened inside him. He's done too much bird. There's a reason for it to end there. But there's nothing stopping a series two. Ingrid and Lenny have said that once the honeymoon's over, they're moving back in. Okay, do you want to hear my idea for a new Fletcher series? A new as in, like, late 70s, early 80s, thereabouts. And this is not just some nonsense I've come up with. This is not, you know, The Fuddle Adventures of George Roper or anything like that. Okay, now I'm not sure what you call this. I sort of like the title Porridge Back on the Inside. That's a more sort of 21st century trait, you know, having CSI in New York and so on. That's not really something that you got back then. Okay, here's the idea. You've got Fletcher, and he's maybe done the pub, or he's done the cafe, or perhaps he's speaking to the probation officer, or whoever it might be, as long as he's got an audience of someone, just one person, maybe he's meeting up with one of his old crew, for example. Maybe he meets up with Sam Kelly, for example, and they start reminiscing. Effectively, you can do more porridge without having to put Fletcher actually back behind bars, because that would completely sour going straight if it turned out that he'd re-offended. I think actually what put this idea into my head was, we've spoken about this on the podcast, maybe about a year or so ago, 1984, the Christmas BBC schedules, quite hotly contested with ITV to the point where Michael Gray decided to actually amend the schedules after the Radio Times had gone to press, because you could see what ITV were doing and wanted to shuffle things around on Boxing Day. But despite all of that, and very, very high viewing figures for a lot of the shows that were on, the highest viewing figure over Christmas 84 was a repeat of Porridge, which got just under 20 million viewers. 
there was a comment from a BBC spokesman in The Guardian that suggested, and I don't know if this is a misquotation, but it sort of implied that there was a possibility of there being another series of Porridge in 1985. And this thing got us thinking about, oh, well, that's going to be awfully bloody grim if Fletcher's gone back inside after all this time. That's going to be bloody awful. So the idea is then that you give Fletcher an audience and he reminisces. That's it. And so within the first two minutes, he's saying, yeah, I remember this time that me and the old boys. And then, you know, we're back in Slade Prison. Everybody's still there. You can have Phil Mackay, you can have Barry Clough, and there's McLaren. And in a way, you could do more episodes of Pottage, but you don't have to completely sour going straight to do it. I don't know what it would have been like in 1985. I don't know. I really suspected that was just a misquotation and that they were talking about doing more series with Ronnie Barker, but I don't think there was ever any serious possibility of them doing another porridge. Aside from anything else, Clement and Lafrenet were already between two series of La Fouda's Hempet by this point, so it's very unlikely. But what do you think of that as an idea? I mean, do you think that could have worked? No. Ideas like that never work out, do they? I it would have had to not. have been extraordinarily lucky to work. I had a really bad idea. Porridge 2, the governor. After a report from a government committee, it's decided to significantly reform the prison service and Fletch is made the governor of Slade Prison. <laughs> is he made prison reform czar? Because that's more a sort of Blairite thing, isn't it? That's a little bit later. That's sort of 2000s thereabouts when you had all these different czars. But that could have been a thing. Okay, how about this? Stranger things have happened putting this forward as an actual serious suggestion, right? Say it had been around about, say, 1998 or thereabouts. You know the House of Lords reform, where they tried to sort of cut back on the hereditary peers and what have you, and then tried to get ordinary people into the Lords, and appointed a number of people who had perhaps done charity work or whatever it may have been. What about that? Lord Fletcher. And that's his <laughs> special topic, is prison reform. What about that, then? Shall we acknowledge life beyond the box? Well, I think we've already talked about it, haven't we? But yes, we should acknowledge it as... Well, as let's a... just compare... There were only two of them. There were only two life beyond the boxes. And we're not mentioning the other Oh! <laughs> when I said that our, our show was the longest 40 minutes it ever spent, of course, I wasn't including the life on the box about Margot from The Good Life, which was something. Penelope Keith wasn't in it. Was anybody in it from The Good Life? The only person who was in it from The Good Life was Robert Gillespie, who'd played a role in one episode. And yeah, that I think role, but... I think Elizabeth Spriggs was in it, and Rita Tushingham was in it, but playing characters that had only ever been mentioned. <laughs> Whereas Life Beyond the Box does not disrupt anything. It does suffer a bit of the problem that you will have a clip of Fletcher saying something, and then we'll see that illustrated with actors talking about nicking a car after watching a movie. And here he is in his 1950s gear, nicking a car. But it puts all the toys back in the box it doesn't trash anything okay they do seem to change lukewarm's name it's called timothy underwood in life beyond the box whereas apparently one of the episodes he's addressed as lewis in porridge i do find that rather disappointing that in the initial dialogue with mclaren that they actually say that lukewarm has potentially reoffended, and that his case is coming up in the next week so we don't know for sure that he's done it but there's some suggestion that he's still on a handbag and you think oh not lukewarm Really? Now that he's got his freedom, he's, he's not going to go back inside, is he? That could have been the Porridge sequel after going straight. Lukewarm, back in the inside. There you go. <laughs> so it's all about himself. And yeah, he's... Uh, he hasn't even got Blanco to look after anymore. Wasn't there a, a TV series called Prison Break? 
where the first series was we have to break out of prison and then it was a success and then Prison Break 2 was we have to break back into the prison we broke out of. <laughs> well, that's the plot of Porridge the movie, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Prison Break had quite as many mentions of Diddy David Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> and it suffered for that. Well, I enjoy talking about going straight because nobody's ever asked us, but I imagine some people wonder why the sitcom club roster of shows covered doesn't go Faulty Towers, Dad's Army, Only Fools and Horses, Rising Damp. And we've explained before our reasons for avoiding those. But I like being able to talk about Fletcher without going over the familiar old ground of porridge. It's counterintuitive. I think we should stay counterintuitive. Mooncat, next week, what counterintuitive thing are we going to do? Well, funny you should ask that because, again, is this sequel? Is this spin-off? Is this restaging? It's a remake. It's definitely a remake. It is indeed. Next week, we're talking about... Reggie Perrin, the restaging from a few years back with Martin Clunes, co-written by David Nobbs and Simon Nye. And there were two series of it. We're only going to do series one, I think. Are we? Do you want to watch both series? If there's time. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, and how could you not, then you can listen to us 24-7 at sitcomclub.com because... It's not like it's a radio station or anything, but there's 80 podcasts in there. Load them all up in the iTunes, play, repeat, shuffle, whatever, and then we'll always be in your ears at all time, other day and night. And in the meantime, if you've got anything at all for us, you can tweet us at the Sitcom Club. You can email us feedback at sitcomclub.com. And until we discuss the fall and rise and fall and rise. No, it's just Reggie Perrin. If it was Reggie Perrin exclamation mark, it would be the Lionel Bart musical. But no, it's just <laughs> Reggie Perrin from 2009. So until next week, Ocho, yes. you've been Ocho, I've been Mooncat, and this has been The Sitcom Club.